Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tree City Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Baker. And I'm co-host Graham Moan. And uh, shout out to uh, Amazon for bringing us this new mic we have now. Things are going to sound a lot crisper. And uh, we're ready to go. We got a big podcast today. We got NBA awards and playoff previews. Yes, hopefully this new microphone allows you to hear our annoying voices in much better clarity. And as Graham said today, the NBA season's over. Finally. The chaos is over, at least the regular season chaos, and now begins the real chaos, which is the NBA playoffs. So today we'll be giving you guys a breakdown of the playoff matchups, who we like, uh, and as well as giving a wrap-up of the regular season, and who we like in all of the major awards. So first, we will do the NBA 2018 regular season wrap-up and awards, because, well, the regular season just happened. We've had time to process it's been a lot. I mean, we have the MVP, which I think is what we should start with first. Uh, the big discussion this year is between LeBron James and James Harden. I picked LeBron James as my MVP, winning it finally after many years of being snubbed. Harden is deserving of it, but I put him second. I have Anthony Davis third. I have Damian Lillard from Portland fourth. And I have Steph Curry from the Warriors fifth. I have a similar – I have the same top three as Graham. I've got LeBron number one. I've got Harden number two. I've got Davis number three. My four is Giannis Atenacumpo. Which is fair. And my number five is Kevin Durant. So we both have a warrior fifth. We just have different ones. Mm-hmm. Let's start at the top. The LeBron-Harden debate is extremely difficult. I think all year it has been assumed that Harden would be the MVP. But I think when you look at – who had a better season, it's extremely difficult to, to, to choose. And I think if I was not someone who primarily watched the Cavs and saw LeBron day in and day out, there's a good chance that I'd be voting for Harden. But to me, it just comes down to a couple of things. Number one, so we all agree that LeBron is one of the very best players of all time. He's going to play 82 games this season. He's going to play? He did. Yes. He did play LeBron games. is on the Mount Rushmore of NBA players of all time, and maybe even better than that. And he had what may be the best regular season of his entire career. And as spectacular as Harden has been, and again, I watch LeBron every day, so it's a little biased, but LeBron is one of the greatest of all time. And he just had maybe his best regular season. It's just it's just hard to reckon with that for me. I don't think it's fair to penalize LeBron for just you know being as good as he is. I feel like that's what's gotten him the lack of attention last few years, despite when he's been putting up good numbers every year. But this year especially, you can't even really argue the numbers between Harden and LeBron. They're very similar statistics. LeBron is averaging twenty eight points, nine assists, and essentially nine rebounds a game. Harden is pretty much the same stats. I mean, we have James Harden for the Rockets averaging 30 points a game, nine assists, and five rebounds. Their shooting percentages are LeBron's shooting better. LeBron's shooting probably worse from the three-point line. He's shooting, let's see, 36.7%. LeBron, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, 54, 37, 73. Harden as 45 37, 86. So LeBron shoots better from the field, but Harden gets the line 10 times a game, 86%. I think when you're looking at stats, I think you're going to be able to find whatever stats you want to make your argument one way or another. And so I think this year, the LeBron-Harden debate really comes down to what do you value more? Do you value Harden having an excellent, excellent season as the driving force of the best team in the NBA? Or do you value LeBron playing all 82 games? Harden played 72. Uh, Do you value LeBron playing all 82 and carrying a team with injuries left and right, uh, you know, mid-season trade? I would say how many different players has he played with this season? Isaiah Thomas played for this team. Okay, by the way, LeBron won Eastern Conference Player of the Month every month this season, except January when Isaiah Thomas was playing. So, Coincidence? In in no way is it a coincidence. So I just think it comes down to how you value being the best player on the best team versus being 
a guy that is, like LeBron that just carries a team. So it's just it's almost an impossible debate. Um, but like I said, I'm going with LeBron just because, again, one of the best players of all time, having maybe his best regular season. It's just really hard for me to not give the award to LeBron. Yeah. Um, again, it's no disrespect to Harden at all. Everything Harden has done this year to earn likely the MVP is totally legitimate. I mean, that entire system that Mike D'Antoni built is built around Harden. Right. Even and he's with Chris Paul. Even, yes. That's the thing, though, is, you know, LeBron's got Kevin Love as his number two, who also missed six weeks. Harden's got Chris Paul, Eric Gordon. He's got Clint Capella. It, it's not that LeBron doesn't have good teammates. But, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Harden's whole system has basically been built around him to give him success. So mm-hmm. that, to me, is why I'm going to go with LeBron. What's your reasoning, Graham? I mean, LeBron has just, like, from what, what you said, I mean, we had essentially three or four different teams this season, and LeBron played all 82 games, was incredibly consistent. The only bad month he really had was January. Other than that, he was... January, he was like 25, 6, and 7, by the way. That's really rough. So, yeah, he wasn't... It wasn't really his numbers that were bad. It's just kind of his... The way he went about things. His lackadaisical effort, especially, was a big thing. You could definitely see that in LeBron. So that could be part of the penalizing him and maybe giving it to Harden because you didn't see Harden do that this year. But at the same time, LeBron was the best player in the league for, I would say most of the season if he wasn't except for maybe January yeah that's a great point Graham uh that you made about LeBron's effort level at times it sounds crazy to say anything about LeBron's effort when he averages 28 9 and 9 but this is on like three quarters speed yeah true and we've all seen that LeBron saves his best for the playoffs um but of course it is a regular season award I I think that's the one point like you just made that you could really use against LeBron is that LeBron Let's be honest, LeBron didn't play a whole lot of defense this year. No, pretty much ever. LeBron does this thing, you know, where he criticizes his teammates for not rotating when he basically just gives up after one pass sometimes and he just looks around and shrugs. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's it's kind of funny that we're criticizing LeBron's defense in a LeBron-Harden debate because two years ago, everyone just mocked Harden on the internet. But I think Harden's come a long way with his defense. He at least tries now. Right. I, neither of them are asked to guard the best scorers on the other team much at all. Well, for Harden, I think it's because he doesn't have the natural talent LeBron does as a defender to be able to do it. LeBron can do it if he needs to for a possession or two, but in order for us to maximize his talent, we can't have him guarding a Kevin Durant or a Kawhi Leonard or that caliber of a player all game, or else his offense won't be able to shine through. We saw that last year in the finals when LeBron was asked way too much to guard Kevin Durant because we simply had no one else to guard him. Absolutely. By necessity, we saw what happened. I will say this. This is the one thing that I think I would argue about LeBron's defense this year. It's been pretty bad a lot of times, but Harden is what? Probably an average defender. Yeah. And down the stretch of games, there have been times this season of close games where LeBron said, give me the best player. Jimmy Butler, John Wall, etc. There's a whole list of guys. Right. And LeBron has had success slowing guys down to finish games off. So I think that LeBron has been probably a little worse than Harden for most of the season. And the Cavs did have that low in January. LeBron looked like he didn't give a crap at all. Oh, he didn't. But his ability to be a lockdown defender, which he still has, and some people forget, down the stretch of games, I think that gives me a reason to overlook some of the, you know, defensive problems from LeBron. Yeah. Um, so we both have Anthony Davis third. To give you Anthony Davis' stats, he played 75 games out of the possible 82. He put up 28 points, 11 rebounds, 2.5 blocks, 2.5 assists, and a steal and a half a game. He shot 54% from the field, 34% on limited three-point attempts, and 83% from the line. That's what? all being 6'11", 250. And being one of the best defensive players in the NBA, which we will discuss later. Yeah. I mean, when DeMarcus Cousins went down midseason, you're looking at the Pelicans, and you and me both said it on our podcast. They won't make it. They're not making the playoffs. They're not good enough. I don't – and I, I, what Anthony Davis did down the stretch of this season once DeMarcus Cousins got injured was incredible. That started his MVP campaign. I mean, as soon as Boogie went down – that one person basically was Anthony Davis carrying that team. Drew Holiday obviously has been playing better this year, 
and they have been getting contributions from other players like uh, Nikola Mirotic. He's been playing really well, but I think it's just shows how much he meant to them, especially when Boogie went down and everyone assumed, okay, they're done. They're not making the playoffs. Here we are. They're making the. They're in the playoffs with Anthony Davis leading them both on offense and defense. Yeah, I mean, Davis is as good a third candidate for the MVP as we've had. I think this year's MVP race is, at the top, really incredible. Um, like you said, when Anthony Davis went out, we all thought they weren't making the playoffs, and instead they actually got better. Um, and when, I should say when DeMarcus Cousins went out. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at the Pelicans roster. Rajon Rondo is having a, like a strangely like old-school Rajon Rondo. He's playing really well this year. Good type of season. Especially on defense. When right. When I mean, he's been applying himself. For sure. Um, Drew Holiday has had a career year for him now that he's healthy, thank- yeah, thankfully. because issues. I've always been a big fan of his that he – could be good in the NBA. He was an underrated point guard. Now that he's healthy, I think it's showing. Yeah, that's been the thing with Drew Holiday is he just signed that massive contract, and everyone's saying it's not a good contract because he can't stay healthy. He did it this year, which is great so for him. he did that for four more years, that um, makes a good contract. Yep, Nikola Mirotic got out of jail in Chicago. Not literally. I'm using that figuratively. Got out of Chicago and clearly enjoyed his time in New Orleans. He had some big games. But, you know, you're looking at the wings in this team like, Ian Clark, Etwan Moore, Etwan Moore, Solomon Hill, DeAndre Liggins is playing minutes. Emeka Okafor started at center for a few weeks. Darius Miller. What Anthony Davis did to carry this team was unbelievable. Yeah. So we're in agreement on our top three MVP. Uh, who's your number four and five? You said I Greg. had Damian Lillard, and that's just because. I mean, if you look at the numbers and statistics, when Lillard was on the floor and when McCollum was up. And McCollum was off, and then vice versa. So they play a lot of staggered lineups this year, but for stat purposes for the entire season, Damian Lillard averaged 27 points a game, 6.5 assists, and then 4.5 rebounds while shooting 44% from the field, but he did shoot 36% from three and 91% from the line. Now, he took 19 shots a game, so that's a big amount. But the reason I picked him is because of how different of a team Portland was when it was him on the court with no McCollum, and it was McCollum, but no Lillard. They were a vastly better team with Lillard on the court than McCollum on the court. And when they were together, obviously they played well, but I think Lillard showed his big, showed his value, especially when he was out. They started to struggle near the end of the season, and they went into the playoffs on a little bit of a tailspin, as opposed to when he was playing, they were a lock for that three seed. They ended up getting it, but it was a lot closer than they anticipated. Yep, I think Damian Lillard is a very deserving candidate. I can't argue it. He had his career season, um, or best season of his career so far. And like you said, late in the game, too. Late late in the game, Damian Lillard is a killer. He's Damian one Lillard of the most clutch won players in league. Yes, he is one of the most clutch players in the league. Late in game, Damian Lillard had some incredible moments just dominating down the stretch. Lillard time is what they call it. Um, so I don't see any problem there. I, I didn't vote him that high because... I don't think his defense is on par. I think he's an average at best defender, and he had an incredible season. But if I'm looking at my top five for MVP, I really do want two-way guys, unless they're on the level of like LeBron and Harden, where they're just dominating everything. So my number four, like I mentioned earlier, was Giannis Antetokounmpo, the man with the incredible name. Giannis this season averaged 27, 10, and five assists a game, a block and a half, a steal and a half, 53% from the field, 31% on threes, though he doesn't shoot many, and 76% free throws. So I think if you're looking at Giannis, he's almost as effective an offensive player as Lillard. And I think there's a legitimate argument for Giannis to be top three on Defensive Player of the Year, which we'll discuss soon. So for those reasons, uh, you know, the Bucs should have been better. But I don't. That's why I didn't put him on my list is because he didn't elevate that team to, especially with the talent they have. And Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, Jabari Parker now healthy. I expected more from that team. So if that team isn't, I would hope that Giannis was going to go and elevate their play. But it just seemed like they were stuck in a rut most of the year and were fighting just to even make the playoffs. I yeah, the Bucks absolutely overachieved massively this year, and that's why Jason Kidd got canned. Um, you mean underachieved? Yes, underachieved. Let's say if they overachieved, uh, they'd be fifty win team. Right. And I do I do think that rewarding Portland's great season and giving Lillard the four spot is makes total sense. You know, I that makes it's totally fine. I just think 
you know, you're looking at my MVP. It's kind of like the same reason I voted LeBron number one is the reason I'm voting Giannis number four is that most of the problems the Bucks have have nothing to do with Giannis. It's a coaching problem. Clearly, they don't have a system there that works for them. So I'm not going to penalize Giannis for that. That's my number four. Now, we both have a warrior at number five. I've got Kevin Durant. You've got Steph Curry. Go ahead and make your argument to me as why you think Steph Curry has been more valuable this season. And Now, noted, Kevin Durant has played 68 games, and Steph Curry has played 51. That's the main difference for me, but go ahead and explain your rationale. I think it's just at that point when you're picking like fifth or sixth for the MVP race, I'm picking someone that, yes, the games he didn't play as many. He played like 17 less games than Kevin Durant, but it showed a marked difference recently with Steph Curry out. The Warriors were a much different team and struggled mightily without having Steph Curry leading their attack. Kevin Durant is probably, not probably, he is the better player of the two players. I'm not going to dispute that. Kevin Durant's probably, if not the second best player in the league, the third best player in the league. But Steph Curry's impact when he was in the game was much more profound than Durant. When Durant was out and Curry was in, they were still performing at a high level because, you know, that's the old squad. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond. But once Kevin Durant was healthy and Steph left, Durant isn't able to lead from the point guard position. He is a great passer and a good playmaker, but that's not his way of performing at his best thing. He's not the person that's going to initiate the offense. He's someone that you pass the ball to. The offense can then run around him. He's not Curry who has the touch and who has the passing ability. I think you just have you see how much different of a team Golden State is sans Curry and then sans Durant. I think I think the difference for me is if I'm voting MVP, I'm voting for who supplied the most value this year. So I think in a sense you're kind of arguing for Curry because when he didn't play they weren't good. And I think that or they when weren't he played they were very good. Right. So I think that makes sense, but I also think that you have to to take into consideration the fact that Steph Curry missed basically a third of the season. So, you know, the That's value true. he didn't provide while he didn't play was value he wasn't providing. Kevin Durant was having is having a uh, incredible season. He averaged 26, 7, and 5. He shot 52%, 42%, 89%. He and Curry have relatively similar offensive numbers. Difference for me is Durant played 17 more games, plus Durant is, again, kind of like Giannis. Durant is an all-defensive-type talent. You know, Durant's averaging almost two blocks a game. And he's probably their best rim protector if you look at it. Because, he's their only rim protector. Yeah, Draymond Green and Zaza Pachulia ain't, ain't blocking shots. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I think for those reasons, I'm picking Durant over Curry. I do think Curry is kind of the engine that makes that team go. But in terms of providing value this season, I'll go with Durant. Okay. Um, the rest of the list for MVP uh, after our top fives, apologies to Victor Oladipo, Russell Westbrook, who averaged triple-double again. Yeah. Uh, by the way, can we just touch on how hilarious it was that he needed 16 rebounds yesterday to average a triple-double? And we messaged the night before, like, oh, we know he's going to go for it. In the third quarter, he had taken four shots, and he had 18 rebounds. So basically, Russell Westbrook just said, okay, I'm not shooting. Every time you shoot, I'm going to get the ball. And they won because they were playing the Grizzlies. I wonder how many rebounds Steven Adams would average if he didn't have to box out for Russ, if he'd just get the rebound himself. <laughs> he'd average double-digit rebounds. For sure. Steven I, Adams is one of my favorite players in the league when it comes to his toughness and the way he plays. He's a, he's a better offensive rebounder than most people will give him credit for. Absolutely. Um, just seeing Russ Westbrook just go out but there yeah. and just decide he's getting all the rebounds is kind of awesome. I mean, you can argue about it during the season, but at least for one night it was awesome. Also, apologies to Jimmy Butler, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, Nikola Jokic, and DeMar DeRozan, among others. Uh, Let's see. So moving on to Defensive Player of the Year, our ballots are extremely similar. And I think that is because this is one of the the more obvious awards. Uh, Who's your top three in order, Graham? Uh, The winner would be Anthony Davis. Second place would be Rudy Gobert from the Jazz. Third would be Joel Embiid. And then to round out my four and five, I have Giannis Tenacumpo and then Robert Covington, the small forward slash shooting guard from the Philadelphia 76ers. My top three is the exact same as yours. Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid. Um, apologies to Giannis Tenacumpo, Robert Covington, Ben Simmons, Al Horford, Draymond Green, Andre Roberson, who probably would have been on the list if he played more games. Yeah, if he hadn't had that horrific injury. So... 
if all were healthy for a full season, I don't think there's any doubt. I would have picked Gobert. Exactly. I, Gobert played 56 games down the stretch of the season, the last, what, two to three months of the season, the Jazz were a great team, one of the best in the NBA, and far, far and away the best defensive team in the NBA, and he's the number one reason why. I know it's kind of trivial, but if he had played 70 games, I probably would have picked him as the defensive player of the year. You and me think the exact same way on this. Gobert was the best defender in the NBA this year and had the biggest impact, but he only played 56 but games. But Davis wasn't bad by any means. Right. So Anthony, Davis, Anthony Davis played 75 games. And Joel Embiid played 63. So for me, if I had to rank them as impact defenders, I'd go Gobert, Davis, Embiid. Uh, but Davis gets the award for me simply because he played, you know, 25, 30% more games. And I just think that matters. And he had just as big of an impact on the Pelicans as. Maybe not as big as Gobert did on the Jazz. Similar. Similar. And plus, Davis can uh, be effective on the perimeter. Yeah, he's more of a modern center where he can switch out on everybody, whereas Gobert is more of a traditional drop back and kind of be the anchor of the defense center. Right. Anthony Davis is a long-armed terror, just deflecting balls, blocking shots, guarding people. They're both good their own systems because Quinn Snyder clearly sees that he has Rudy Gobert and it's like okay I can just build a system where he just has to drop back and he doesn't have to switch off on guys so I think Rudy Gobert is a great defender but I think it just depends on the system you're in. Agreed the entire Utah system is based around Gobert's rim protection he is an incredible anchor I mean teams just don't score at the rim against Utah because he's just so good. No he's just massive. I think Davis is a close enough proximity to him on defense in terms of his versatility, and when you consider games played, I give it to him. Embiid was the best defender on one of the two or three best defensive teams in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, Philly had three guys, honestly, that could have been on this list. Yes. They had three. And, and that's one of the reasons that I voted Gobert over Embiid, despite the fact that Embiid played a couple extra games. They because cancel each other out. Right, because Embiid was the anchor of a great defensive team, but... Covington and Simmons make the perimeter defense so much better. Now, it's not that Utah doesn't have great defensive personnel, too, but I think Embiid is more of part of a system, whereas Gobert is mostly the system, if that makes sense. No, they play more of an old-school game. I mean, their power forward's not a stretch guy. Derek Favors is someone that is more of a post-threat. He's not really someone that switches out on guards or anything, but he's a, he's a good player, but that system is much more old-school than the other one. Uh, so apologies on Defensive Player of the Year to the guys we mentioned, but that's our top three. It's the same for both of us. Now, there has been a lot of debate amongst the top two rookies of the year themselves, who I think everyone has one and two in some order. Tell me about it. And we have a difference of opinions on this one. So Rookie of the Year is going to be between Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell. That's the clear top two. Anyone who votes for anyone but those two is wrong. And yeah. I don't think there's any argument about yeah. it. That's just you. I mean, it's just unanimous top two. It's one of the better rookie of the year races we've ever had. So I went with Simmons number one. You went with Donovan Mitchell. Give me a reasoning why, Graham. Because Ben Simmons isn't a rookie, mostly because he is te- technically he's playing his second year in the league, and he had an entire year to acclimate to the NBA. Donovan Mitchell's coming from a team in Louisville with all that turmoil, all the different things, and playing a thirty-game season to going to playing 82 games and getting better as the season went on. He's averaging 20 points a game as a rookie and the number one option for a team that, yes, Rudy Gobert is incredibly important, but they're the number, they're one of the top teams in the, in the Western Conference because of Donovan Mitchell. He averaged 20.5 points a game, and he averaged four assists and four rebounds, shooting 44% from the field, 34 from three, 80% from the line. I mean, Ben Simmons is great, don't get me wrong. He averaged 16 points a game eight rebounds and eight assists. But he also, and yes, he shot 54% from the field, but he takes no three-pointers, and his free throw percentage is atrocious. Ben Simmons literally did not make a single three-point attempt this year. Um, I So if I were to tell you that Ben Simmons was a true rookie, was not in the NBA at all last year, are you still voting for Mitchell or are you going Simmons? Yeah, I think Mitchell had the more impact on his team too, if you think about it. I mean, Donovan Mitchell turned a team when we, who we all thought was going to be in rebuilding mode when they lost Gordon Hayward and then traded Rodney Hood in the, during the season. This is a team that clearly was going young, but Donovan Mitchell clearly was overlooked in the draft by a lot of different teams. He went, I think, 13th, and now he's averaging 20 points a game as a rookie, being the number one option for a playoff team. That's 
that's just super impressive to me. Ben Simmons had a lot more talent around him to make it happen. I'm not de- taking anything away from him. He's a clear number two, and he and any other year I would argue him as the MVP or not the MVP, the rookie of the year. But Donovan Mitchell for me has just been sensational. Give it a couple years for Ben Simmons, the MVP. He might be up there. I uh, I have a lot of respect for Donovan Mitchell and what he's done this season. Like you said, being the number one ball handler and number one scorer on a top four seed or I guess top five seed in the West for a team that dominated down the stretch and locked down everyone defensively. And I think lost all of their top options. Yeah, Gordon Hayward gone for Rodney sure. Hood gone. Yep. Um, I, I definitely think that Mitchell had an incredible season. I think that the majority of seasons, either one of these guys will be rookie of the year, aside from seasons where you have le- like guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis. Can't they have a co-rookie of the year? Can't they both be rookie of the year? Yeah, but that's not fun. I, the reason I'm going Simmons is this. Simmons, the team quality, both of these teams are similar quality. Both of them are great defensive teams. Both of them have guys... Like, you know, rookies leading their attack. Simmons did have Joel Embiid and maybe a little better talent around him. But for me, Simmons is so good at so many things. Despite the fact he doesn't shoot threes at all. Or really shoot. I mean, eight assists, eight rebounds a game for a rookie is, that's rarefied air. I mean, that almost never happens. Plus, like we mentioned earlier with the Defensive Player of the Year uh, voting, Ben Simmons is a legitimate first or second all-NBA defender already. I mean, that guy is a lockdown defender. I don't see, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell as more than an average defender at this point in his career. And that's okay. You know, I mean, that's no no complaint. the, The whole debate about if Ben Simmons is actually a rookie, that is intriguing to me because for those who are unaware, Ben Simmons was drafted last year and then sat out an entire year with injury issues. So he was around the team, training with the team, just not playing in NBA and games. he could have played. It wasn't, they just shut him down earlier in the, in the year than they should have. It was basically a redshirt season. Yeah, they could have played him, but they were terrible. So they're right. obviously I get that they don't play him, but don't I, call him a rookie. I think it's a tough debate. The NBA says he's a rookie, so for this, for this award, I'm voting for him as the rookie. Um... But I do think it's I think it's I think it's something to consider because having that if you're looking at Ben Simmons last year if he played most of the season you can almost guarantee he's probably not rookie of the year over Donovan Mitchell so I understand the argument about not making him a rookie but end of the day I think he was a slightly more impactful player this year all things considered with again zero disrespect to Donovan Mitchell I mean, I can absolutely see incredible season I can see Simmons being rookie of the year but I also is my I think Ben Simmons is also good at just being able to I don't know I lost my train of thought but Donovan Mitchell and is definitely my rookie of the year but I think Ben Simmons is deserving of it I just think and probably what's going to happen is Donovan Mitchell will not be the better player out of the two but I think for this year it's just you see the impact that he had on the team single-handedly essentially yeah that's fair. I think I think you know Simmons definitely is probably the better player in the future, and that's okay. But it's a one season award, so I think the debate is very fair. Um, looking at the rest of your ballot, uh, we can go five deep on this one, just since there's a lot of good rookies. Who's your three, four, five? Uh, Kyle Kuzma from the Lakers, Jason Tatum from the Celtics, and then Dennis Smith Jr. from the Mavericks. Mine is Jason Tatum from the Celtics third, Kyle Kuzma from the Lakers fourth, and Laurie Markkinen fifth. Tatum and Kuzma had similar seasons. I give Tatum the nod because he played for a better team and was probably a little bit better defensive player. I like Markin a lot. Markin had a really incredible season for a guy who's finishing like fifth, for example, on my list. Um, a great rookie, great rookie class. Yeah, I, this was a this was a talked about as a big draft class, and they definitely uh, performed. I mean, a lot of these guys were either later in the top ten or just outside the top ten. The two Simmons was the only guy really. Simmons and Tatum were the two guys, and Simmons didn't even get drafted this year. That were drafted high. Everyone else was kind of a le- later part of the lottery or just outside the lottery. Yep, absolutely. I think if you're looking at top to bottom, you know this rookie class. It's one of the better ones we've seen. T- to to your credit, Laurie Markkinen went seventh. Kyle Kuzma went twenty seventh. Jason Tatum was third. Donovan Mitchell was 13th, and then Ben Simmons was first overall last year. So I think it's a diverse class. 
You've got some big guys. You've got some mids. You've got some guards. Top to bottom, this is one of the best rookie classes we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a special shout-out to Andre Ingram, who only played two games this season. But for a guy 32 years old, has played in the D-League for parts of 10 seasons and finally got the call up with the Lakers a couple days ago. 19 points in his first game in the NBA at age 32. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm glad. I'm happy for him. I hope he can latch on next season with a team in a rotation role. That's the type of thing you look for in sports is cool stories like that. Not to mention he has the swaggiest three-point stroke of all time. It looks incredible. I'll have to see. I didn't get a chance to watch oh, it. Oh, you, you have to watch it. It's incredible. He flings his whole body towards the basket and then holds his hand up. It's, it's awesome. Um, on to the next award, most improved player. I think this is, of all the awards – the only one that has a clear-cut, can't-debate-it, number-one option. Yeah. Victor Oladipo. I just I don't really see anyone else that you can argue with. He went from a guy who was pretty much forgotten about in Oklahoma City, was traded for Paul Urch, and everyone just assumed, oh, it was just a salary dump because they needed a young player. A lot of people at the beginning of the season thought Victor Oladipo was an overpaid player that just never realized his potential. Well, he came to Indiana and realized his potential. He is... Arguably one of the best two guards in the league, one of the two, like three best two guards in the league. He could definitely be debated this year for an all NBA team, whether it's second team or third team, I don't know. But he's just, he's been fantastic this year, and I don't think there's any other debate. There's other guys that have performed better this year and have improved, but I think head and shoulders above. It's. Oladipo. Agreed. Oladipo was a guy who couldn't really shoot from the outside. He was considered a plus defender, but maybe not as good as he could have been. Pretty decent ball handler, but he started his career off in Orlando, where, you know, that's basketball purgatory, similar to Sacramento and places like that. Then he went to play second fiddle to Russell Westbrook, where he basically just wasn't allowed to be a significant part of the offense. He wasn't allowed to be a second fiddle. Right. And, you know, going to Indiana was the perfect situation for him. But I also think Outside of his situation, the skill set improved massively. I don't think this is just a, he got a better scenario. The scenario and the situation for him matters a huge degree. But Oladipo became a legitimate knockdown three-point shooter this year off the dribble, which he's never done before. He had a great defensive season, which he hasn't always been consistent with. Yeah. And he led a team that was had the Vegas over-under at 28 wins before the season to 50 wins, the number five seed. It's just an incredible transformation. His body even, he trimmed a massive amount of body fat and got in shape. Just front to bottom, I I think front to bottom, top to bottom, (laughs) I think this is one of the best, most improved players we've seen just because he went from being, you know, an average to below average NBA player to arguably first or second all NBA. Yeah, Um, I mean, I think he shows the comparisons now to people were calling him a young Dwayne Wade coming into the into the NBA when he was coming out of Indiana. And he showed those flashes at Indiana when he was there, but you just never saw it compartmentalize everything together perfectly. So this year was great. I'm glad he has a situation now where the pressure is not huge because he's in a smaller market, but he's also the number one guy. Maybe eventually, since he's young too, they could draw some veteran talent to him to pair with him and Miles Turner, and they could really have a good core coming forward, especially – LeBron's getting older. Toronto eventually will have to make decisions on their team. Uh, Boston has some injury things that you have to worry about. Will Gordon Hayward be the same? Will Kyrie be the same? It's a very interesting team, and he's the big catalyst behind it. Yep, incredible year from Oladipo. Who's your number two and three on your list, Graham? Uh, Andre Drummond's number two. I think you have to put him on this list almost strictly because of the fact that he improved his free throw shooting by 22%. He's number two on my list as well. He went from a 38% free throw shooter to a 60% free throw shooter. Which doesn't sound great, but I mean... if It's the difference between not being able to be on the floor late in games to being able to be on the floor late in games. Where he's a great... He's a great defender, and it comes. he's improved as a defender this year, too, becoming a little bit more of an anchor. Still not an amazing shot blocker, you would, which you would think for this athleticism, but his rebounding's been doing well. He's been a better passer, especially this year. He's been featured more with him and Blake Griffin together. So while they didn't have the same results that people were expecting them for, he's definitely shown a lot of promise, and I think that front court tandem could definitely be a good pairing in the next coming few years. Yeah, um, Andre Drummond... Scoring about the same amount of points as he normally does. 
His rebounds have gone from 15 to 14 the past couple years to 16 this year. So he stepped his rebounding up a little bit. But the free throw shooting, and also, like you mentioned, the passing. Drummond's career high in assists a game before this season was 1.1 a game. He just did not really have that skill, and he didn't really have that you know, contribution to an offense. This year, he averaged three assists a game. Mm-hmm. They used him at the high post frequently to run the offense through him. You know, that's a pretty transformational season for a big guy. He already has the points and the rebounds. He's a double-double machine. Now he's refined his game to where he can hit some free throws enough to stay on the court, and he can be a good passer in an offense that can run more smoothly. Who's your number three, Graham? My number three was Steven Adams for Oklahoma City. I think he's just such a big piece of what they do. And if they want to have any chance in the playoffs of being a competitive team, it's going to start with him as the defensive anchor where he's really shown that he's one of the best centers in the NBA of being a defender. He's a great offensive rebounder, better even than Tristan Thompson was at his peak. He's probably the best offensive rebounder in the NBA. He's a good defensive rebounder too. He's tough. He's nasty. He's, he's I think, is the big like core of that team. Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams are very much the – people that you follow for that team because no one's going to mess with you when you got Steven Adams coming at you. I agree 100% about Steven Adams in terms of what you said about him as a player. I love Steven Adams. He's awesome. He's a brute. He does all the dirty work. He rebounds. He defends. He mostly just boxes out for Russell Westbrook instead of rebounding, but that's not the point. He's a good screener too. Absolutely. He is an awesome player. He's kind of like Al Horford, just beefier. Um, the, I, I didn't vote. For, I don't have him third on my ballot simply because it's kind of been incremental progress for him. He's been getting better every year. I voted for Trey Burke, who only played about 35 games this season. But Trey Burke has gone from being out of the NBA and a complete afterthought draft bust as a first round pick to this season with the Knicks, who granted are not good and granted his defense wasn't great. He did average 12 points in five assists a game, shooting 50% from the field. That's he went from out of the NBA, basically, and a complete draft bust to a solid guard off the bench. So I mean, do you that's, think he practiced the shooting while he was gone? I think he practiced shooting. I think he practiced scoring and passing. I think he just went from, you know, with most improved player, I try and go with guys that weren't really good and were and are good now. That's Oladipo. Drummond kind of made incremental improvements, but they were really important ones. I'll go Trey Burke, number three. Uh, apologies to Jalen Brown, Spencer Dinwiddie, Clint Capella, Chris Dunn, Demata Sabonis, Terry Rozier, Julius Randle. I had Drew Holiday on mine. Drew Holiday. There's a lot of guys. And, you know, it's tough because with most improved player, there's a lot of guys that go from a first or second to a third to a second and third year guy that make a lot of leaps naturally. We try not to include those guys as much. There's a lot of guys that just end up having a role. We try not to include them as much. But there's a lot of guys that have improved vastly over last season. It shows how, how much work a lot of these guys put in. All right, Graham, on to the sixth-man ballot. This is kind of a fun one, too. A lot, of, a lot of these guys are scorers for the most part off the oh, bench. yeah, that's pretty much what the award is. It's best scorer off the bench. Yep. And this year was pretty much a shoe-in. I think if you voted for anyone else for number one, you're insane. Uh, Lou Williams, he's just... I don't know what else. He's averaged 23 points a game off the bench. Top 10 scorer coming off the bench in the NBA for a team that showed actually showed a lot more than people expected this year with the Clippers. But I think people were expecting a drop-off when he left that super efficient offense in Houston. And once they got him in the Chris Paul trade, I think that really helped them at least just stabilize and have that person that they knew they could count on and get a bucket. And I think he was he did fantastic for them this year, putting them a lot higher than people were expecting in terms of their positioning. Lou Williams was great this year. Give him the sixth man. Yep. You got to give a lot of credit. I have him in number one on my list as well. You got to give a lot of credit to the Clippers in general. They lost Chris Paul. Then during the season, they traded Blake Griffin. Lou Williams, man, like you said, 23 points a game off the bench. He plays about 30 minutes a game. So you can debate whether the sixth man should be only bench players or only guys under a minute threshold, whatever. He's awesome. And he plays off the bench. That's the point. I think, num- I think number two is closer than you would think to Lou Williams. Eric Gordon had a great season. He averages about 16 off the bench for Houston. He is an absolute gunner from three-point range. He can hit them anytime from anywhere. He also so, has good ball handling ability. He does. He can be a secondary ball handler. Plus, Eric Gordon's defense is actually average to above average, where Lou Williams certainly is not. So I think it's closer than you would think. All around, Eric Gordon might be a better player. But Lou Williams had an incredible season yeah. just carrying that the Clippers' offense for a lot of this season. I mean, we don't know what would have happened if Eric Gordon wasn't was with L.A. 
trying to do the same thing. And right. Lou Williams was back in Houston trying to fulfill that role. They're fulfilling different roles. While it is a six-man award, Lou Williams is more of a scorer person, whereas Eric Gordon is there to score, but he's also there to do a lot of different things leading that second unit. Yep. Who's your number three? Uh, my number three is Tyreek Evans. I know he didn't play the full season, which is unfortunate, and that's part of the reason why Memphis has just become – was a huge dumpster fire the last 25 games of the year. But he was a minimum contract. A lot of guys – we're starting to realize maybe that rookie year where he averaged 20 points, five rebounds, and five assists was just a mirage. Obviously, he didn't get to that threshold this year, but he was amazing when he was playing for Memphis. Before all these injuries, they were actually looking like a pretty solid team, a team that could have gotten into the 35-40 win area. But I, yeah, just, I like him a lot. He had a really good season, especially early in the season. He was having some spectacular games. And I think he's a guy who, if he would have gotten traded at the deadline, which he did not, it could have even been a better chance for him to win sixth man of the year coming off the bench for a contender. Yeah. That didn't happen, and he got shut down with injuries. So for me, I voted Will Barton of the Nuggets over him. Barton is the best bench scorer for the Nuggets, who put up a lot of points. Uh, running, ar- running around Nikola Jokic. I like Barton's game. I kind of like his swag. He comes off the bench just ready to get buckets. I'm a fan of Barton. Those guys are all scorers. Apologies to some other guys. There's a few other scorers, but there's also some more diversity in the rest of the candidates. Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors. Dematis Sabonis, who went with uh, Victor Oladipo to the, to the Pacers. Lance Stevenson, also on the Pacers. The Pacers are a fun team. Get them away from me. The fun, they're a fun team, and we're going to discuss them when we talk about the Cavs, who they're playing in the first round. LeBron, Lance Stevenson matchup. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, who we also discussed for Rookie of the Year. Joe Ingles uh, playing for Utah, who I think actually started for the vast majority of the season. favorite white guy. um, Joe Ingles should be on most improved, not sixth man of the year. That's an oversight on my part. Um, and also uh, Julius Randle for sixth man of the year. It's it's you know there's Getting a lot beefy. there's a lot of good guys coming off the bench. Randle's a starter as well. I feel like I might have put these guys in the wrong section, but yeah. Van Vliet, Sabonis, <laughs> Stevenson, and Kuzma are also sixth man candidates. Um, moving on to the coach of the year ballot, I think this, this is, is the pr- hardest one. I agree. This is the hardest one just because you can't really look at stats. For a coach, you can look at win-loss record, offense, defense for the team and all that. But this is basically about who do you think did the most with the least, I guess you could say. That's the way some people look at it. Some people look at who had the best team. It's a really hard award to decide how to vote on it. What was your top three? Well, if you go by the one method of whoever worked with the least amount of talent, it would probably be Eric Spolstra. Because that team, other than Goran Dragic and Hassan Whiteside was not really much to scoff at. They had a couple other weird guys that were heat check guys. Hassan Whiteside sucks. Okay, I'm sorry. Exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> he had the worst roster. So, if you go by that rule, then it's him. I picked Brett Brown because Brett Brown took a team that no one expected to even sniff 40 wins this year for Philadelphia. They had come off this process of years of losing. No one thought they were ready to win, even if Ben Simmons was coming in. No one also knew how good Ben Simmons was going to be initially to a point where he's absolutely a top 25 player in the league and you can argue he's higher so i would put brett brown in there at number one dwayne casey what a fantastic season that the raptors had they were the best team in the eastern conference pretty much all year until the very end when philly decided to go on that massive winning streak to end the season so dwayne casey they won 59 games they showed improvement in their offense lowry and DeRozan both showed improvement in their game i would put them there third i put mike d'antoni The Houston Rockets went from being a very good team to being almost an historically good team because they finally improved their defense. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. Part of that's adding Chris Paul, but also D'Antoni has to get some credit for putting Harden and Paul together on a team, knowing what to do, staggering minutes, making sure that they're playing effectively. And then the next ones, I put Spolstra fourth. But again, like you said, it, it depends on how you argue coach of the year. And then Quinn Snyder for me is fifth. It was three through five was difficult for me. Quinn Snyder put a team with their best player was a rookie in terms of the leading guy, and they're one of the best teams in the Western Conference. So I picked Brett Brown, but it really is a big debate. My top three was Quinn Snyder, number one, Dwayne Casey, number two, and Brett Brown, number three. We both have Dwayne Casey, number two. Like you mentioned, the Raptors going from a good team that was that no one was ever scared of to being the best team in the Eastern Conference. They changed their offense from a more ISO-heavy offense to a ball-motion offense. That ball moves a lot now. Yes, it does. And plus, um, their bench is 
arguably the best in the NBA, and I think that goes a lot of credit to him for A, coaching those guys on how to play a system off the bench, and B, deciding who should play with who and getting the best out of lineups. Right. So I think you've got to give a lot of credit for Dwayne Casey uh, for that, especially considering they improved so much with basically the same team. Yeah. Like, Mike D'Antoni is a guy... And this, like I said, this is a really hard award because there's so many good coaches. Mike D'Antoni is a guy for me who I didn't vote for uh, on, on my top three. He wouldn't be on my top three simply because they were already a really good team, and he did win Coach of the Year last year. Not that that should disclude him from this year. And they got Chris they Paul. Case Popovich should never be in discussion. <laughs> right. I think I think you got to give a lot of credit to D'Antoni because he integrated Chris Paul properly, where before the season a lot of discussion was, can Paul and Harden play together? But I also do think that having probably the best roster in the NBA outside of a healthy Golden State, yeah, his team didn't necessarily overachieve by a mass margin. Uh, mass margin, not again. A great coach, great season, great job of coaching. It's just my personal philosophy. Number one for me is Quinn Snyder because, like you said, they they were the no, uh, number five team in the West. They were bad the first month or two oh, of the they season. They were horrible. They were like borderline top five lottery team after two months, okay? <laughs> and they're the five seed in the West. And they I were think the best team in the NBA by record. I, I just I just think yes, they were best team in the NBA record wise second half. Absolutely. I just think Quinn Snyder losing Gordon Hayward, his number one player, making that team this good on the fly during the season is incredible to me. Because I coming agree. into the season we didn't really know what Donovan Mitchell was, and he flourished as arguably the number one or at least the number two best rookie in the se- uh, uh, this season. And I think a lot of that credit goes to him, sure, but a lot of that credit goes to Quinn Snyder for putting him in a position to dominate like he did. I think if you look at a guy like Joe Ingles, who has gone from you know kind of like an NBA no-name to a really good starter, I think uh, Quinn Snyder just consistently puts his guys in positions to do what they do best. I think this season he did that better than everyone, anyone else. I think he better than anyone else took a team that didn't really have an identity when they lost Gordon Hayward and didn't really have a system. And during the season took that team to being one of the best teams in the league, uh, you know, with that defense yeah. going around Rudy Gobert as the anchor. I just think that what he did is incredible this season. I mean, honestly, if I'm the Cavs in the offseason, I would call Quinn Snyder if – if you get rid of Tyron Lue, because you're talking about a guy that gets the best out of his guys, Quinn Snyder running an offense for the Cavs and someone that's highly respected now in the league. I think he's, I think that just me saying that just shows what type of impact he has on his players, the ability to change things on the fly. Like you said, from being one of the worst teams in the NBA, the first two months of the year to being maybe the best team in the NBA record wise, they were for the second half of the season, getting all the way up to a five seed having an opportunity to even potentially be the three seed going into the final few games games of the season. so Yeah, I mean, if I'm the Cavs, I'm calling pretty much any of the best coaches in the NBA. Especially him. Let's be honest, Ty Lue is probably an average NBA coach maybe. You know, there's a lot yeah. of debate. He is not in our coach of the year discussion. He is not in our coach of the year. Exactly. <laughs> he is not in our coach of the year discussion. Um, you know, if I'm the Cavs, I call Greg Popovich. Hey, LeBron will stay if you come. Sure, anybody. Um, Greg Popovich is also like 168 years old. you got to watch Okay, that. look. He is not that old. Um, number three on my list was number one on your list, I believe, Brett Brown, correct? Yeah, Brett Brown was my winner. Yeah, Brett Brown taking – a bunch, basically a lump of clay in Ben Simmons and kind of molding him into, you know, the type of player he is. He has been this season, not to say that Ben Simmons isn't massively talented because he is. And so is Joel Embiid. Uh, but I just think that, you know, Brett Brown taking that young group of guys and turning them into one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, which is extremely rare out of a group of guys oh, yeah. that young, J.J. Reddick is like their best veteran, and he's not exactly a lockdown defender. But, no, but he's been playing very efficiently. Exactly. I think, of, I think because of Brett Brown. Right. I think the system Brett Brown created there, and a lot of this discussion is about systems because what coaches do. They create a system. And I think Brett Brown, you know, leading that team to where they have gone, especially in the second half of the year, is really incredible, especially considering how much youth they yeah, have. I mean, admittedly, Brett Brown – took a lot of L's for this team over the last few years. He was getting so much criticism in the media. Part of this award for me, me voting for him, it, I think it's so close. Like 
Brett Brown could have been fired so many times. When they fired Sam Hinkie, they could have fired him because they're like, okay, you're not our coach anymore. This process isn't working. Get rid of him. But they believed in Brett Brown. The players believed in Brett Brown. Trust especially. the process. Joel Embiid loves him. So as long as you have your stars that love you, if LeBron loves you, if LeBron loves you or any of your best players love you, you're in good shape. You're going to stay. And I think he's, like you said, molded that clay into something that could potentially be the most deadly team in the East coming up in the next five, for the next three to five years. They could be the biggest challenger to LeBron, or if LeBron leaves, the best team in the East. Yep, Brett Brown. I think also you have to give Brett Brown a lot of credit during those years where the Sixers were the worst team in the league consistently. Those teams didn't tank in the sense, they tanked because they didn't have good players. Those Sixers teams did not tank because they didn't try or didn't play oh, good lineups. Yeah, they were just horrible. Over the past three years of losing, that's that's one of the hardest things to do in sports and in life. Take a group that is not going to have a, a lot of success and create a culture anyways. And what Brett Brown's done the past few years, creating that culture of hard work and playing hard in Philadelphia, no matter how bad the team was, I think that gives a lot of precedent to what happened with the team this year. Yeah. I think you got to give him a lot of credit I for that. I think Philly needs to be careful. I think you just years. I think you just talked me into Brett Brown being second on my list over Dwayne Casey to be honest with you. I think Brett um, Brown I think they need to watch out cuz if the Spurs if Popovich decides to hang it up in the next few years, the Spurs could come calling. He is a former Spurs assistant and I don't think he's leaving Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but I know what you're saying. No, I mean I agree, but think about the respect he gets, he has around the league because of that connection with the Spurs, that thinking of putting a good pace offense around you, one that moves the ball, plays good defense, very solidly fundamental. He created that culture now that he can build upon and make, like I said, make Philly one of the best teams in the NBA coming up in the next years to come. Yep, I think coach of the year, like you said, is extremely tough. I think there are so many good coaches in the NBA right now. Uh, apologies to the aforementioned Greg Popovich, who is always a great coach. He's still probably the best coach in the NBA if we're looking at it. Oh, yeah. Brad Stevens, who took a group of Celtics that were, at the beginning of the season, a dominant force when healthy, and then once a massive wave of injuries hit, they have kept their head above water and been above 500, even with all the injuries. Uh, Nate McMillan for turning that Indiana team projected 28 wins to a 50-win team. Yeah, he um, could be higher on, on this. Uh, it's just that. impossible. There's so many guys. Er, like you mentioned, Eric Spolster taking the I Heat. I just think they have, have the least a, amount of talent. They've got a bunch of nobodies, and they're a, a bottom-tier playoff team in the East. But they somehow made the playoffs because yep. of Eric Spolstra. Um, Terry Stotts making uh, the Portland. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum led Blazers, the number three seed for a team that had previously not been good enough defensively to do so. And also Alvin Gentry for weathering the storm of DeMarcus Cousins' injury and having great seasons from guys like Rajon Rondo and, you know, kind of using his wings to where they're in decent situations. To be fair, if I'm Alvin Gentry, my goal is just give Anthony Davis the ball more. Well, that's, that's a fair. pretty good strategy. All in all, I think it's been a really, really interesting NBA season. I think all these awards uh, kind of show that. Stay tuned. We're going to have another podcast coming very soon. We're going to cut this one at almost an hour long. That's okay since it's yeah. our end of the season recap. This is, I think, one of the most fun podcasts I've done with you yet, Graham. Oh, yeah. This has been great. It's been some awesome debate. And we'll be back soon with a playoff preview, and we'll get you all the information you need on that. Till all next right. time, we're out. But before we leave... Don't make sh- make sure to go to the TreeCityRecords.com website. We have a couple new singles coming out now from a couple of the artists. We are also part of their company as well. So make sure that you're going to TreeCityRecords.com. Follow me on Twitter at GT Moen. Follow Andrew on Twitter at, at A Baker Sports. At A Baker underscore sports. sports right. Uh, and just follow us for great content when it comes to browns and calves and any other sports around us and let's get ready for the playoffs we'll be back more soon to do uh predictions for the rounds before the playoffs start on saturday but uh until then thanks for listening and have a great evening peace